spending with us today. I'm Fred, I'm the pastor here, it's good to have you. If you want us to know that you're visiting with us today on the handout that we gave you, and sometimes people don't want us to know, that's fine, but on the handout we gave you, uh, there's a little QR code and all you have to do, uh, it says connect card, all you have to do is hover your phone camera over that and it'll take you to an online form and we'd love to know that you're visiting with us today and if there's anything that we can do for you or any way we can be praying for you, please be sure to let us know. We've been going through the Gospel of John. There are four accounts in the Bible of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. We call them the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, since the fall, we've been looking at the Gospel of John together, and that'll actually take us, this study will take us all the way to uh, June. We'll take a break in June, and Lord willing, we'll look at Philippians together, one of the New Testament letters. And uh, we'll pick back up in the Gospel of John because it is a long book. Uh, we'll pick back up next fall and do the second half of the Gospel of John. It's a great book. I think you'll love it if you haven't been with us. I think you're in, um, I think you're just going to appreciate the, the beauty of this book as we look at John chapter 4, verses 27 through 38 together. This is actually the second time we've looked at this text. We looked at uh, the bulk of John chapter 4 the week before Christmas when we looked at Jesus' interaction with a woman known as the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, I'll, I'll try to bring you up to speed a little bit for those of you who weren't here after I read this text. But let's look at verses 27 through 38 together. It says, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and they made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap where you, what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Let's pray briefly. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you speak your truth into our hearts and into our minds, that we would be changed by this eternal word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this is part of a larger story. There's this interaction in John chapter 4 between Jesus and this woman who's come out to this well to, to receive water in the middle of the day. And it's in an area uh, that's occupied by a people known as the, as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were, uh, they were descended from Jews, but they had intermarried, illegally intermarried uh, with other peoples. And so they were sort of despised by the Jews. And there was no real positive interaction between Jews and Samaritans. 
In addition to that, she's a woman. Culturally, it was extremely unpopular at the time, not just unpopular, it was, it was almost forbidden for uh, a man, let alone a Jewish man, to speak with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. And so this is quite remarkable in, in historical context that Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. And if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when we looked at that conversation, it, it basically results in this woman believing that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah, as indicated here in part of our text today. And so she leaves the well. She goes to her town, a town of Samaritans. She tells them that she believes she has found the Messiah. They're all going to come out to him, and many people from that town are going to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, bringing salvation to that place. In the middle of that happening, Jesus' disciples return from going to get something to eat. And when they return is the dialogue that we just looked at. When they come back, they begin to speak to Jesus. And the first thing that they're alarmed by is the fact that he's speaking with a woman. And that just goes to show how culturally taboo this was for him to be speaking with this woman. It's not the main thing in the text, but it's an important note from this text. And it's the first thing on your handout that Jesus consistently affirms the biblical teaching of the equality of men and women. I think that's an important note. I want to highlight that as often as we can when we come to that in the Gospels and in the New well, anywhere in Scriptures, really, because it was very countercultural. Sometimes uh, people might think that Jesus just reflected the cultural norms of his day. That in reality, he often went against and corrected the things in his culture that were wrong, and this is one of them. Jesus consistently affirms the biblical teaching of the equality of men and women. That might be something you take for granted. I think it's more likely today, probably than any other time in history or in any other culture in humanity, that you might take that for granted today. I believe that I grew up in a world that generally views women and men as equal in their value. Maybe not always equal in their opportunities, but certainly equal in their value. You may have had a different experience or a different perspective of that. But I think by and large, that's the world that I grew up in. That is very unique in human history. It's unique today in the world. There are many places, I would probably guess that most, most cultures and most humans on the earth today live in societies where men and women are not viewed as having equal value. This is evidence in places like India and China where the abortion rates uh, among women who are pregnant with girls is much higher than the abortion rates of women who are pregnant with young boys. In many other ways that this is evidence. We see this, uh, well, we, just, we see this evidence a lot of ways in different cultures in different ways. The biblical teaching from the very first verses of Scripture, way back in Genesis 1 and 2, is that men and women are created with equal value as image bearers of God. Even though historically this has not been the way most people have, have viewed men and women, this, this is, has always been the view of Scripture. 
It's always been the teaching of the Bible that both men and women have equal value and worth because both are created in the image of God. God, in creating humanity, assigned human beings their worth. And the Bible tells us in the beginning, he created them male and female, and he created them in his image. Both are equally an important part of his plan for creation and his plan for redeeming creation, including within the church. Both are uniquely gifted and called in ways that the other is not. And this, I think, is where even our current culture goes wrong. Our current culture, I think, grasps the idea that men and women are equal in value, but dismisses the idea that men and women are unique or different from one another. The goal in society today has become that, that women can do everything that men do and in some bizarre ways today that men can do everything that women do. And I think that misses the beauty of God's creation that he very obviously created men and women different and for different reasons. He did not create us asexual. He created us with two distinct different genders. The world, I think, goes past that and tries to blur or sometimes erase the distinctions between men and women. The Bible does not do that. The Bible affirms that men and women are equal in value, but that we are created distinctly different for different purposes and that we have different gifts and different strengths from one another that complement each other in a, in a way that glorifies God. The world says that equal value means equal abilities. That's simply not true. Value can be equal with abilities being distinctly different. I think one of the examples of this that, that, that uh, came to mind as I was thinking about this, when I was coaching, uh, one of the hockey teams I coached a few years ago was 14-year-old young men. And... On the team, there was quite a disparity of talent. You had some kids that were pretty good, and you had some kids that were just learning and that probably weren't even going to stick with the sport. It just wasn't working out for them. And there became, there became sort of a, a, a rift between the, the different kids because of the, the disparity in talent. In the locker room, everybody seemed to, to be on the same page, but when we hit the ice, the differences became very clear, and it was becoming a pretty big problem that the kids who were doing better on the ice we're starting to pick on and, and to isolate the kids that weren't doing very good on the ice. And I, I remember um, th this was bothering me so much that I pulled them together after practice one time. And I said, look, I want, I want everybody to just, just sit down, take a knee, um, just, just be here for a minute. I want to talk to you about something. And I started to tell them about my family. I started telling them about how in my family, there's five of us, and we all have different abilities and we all have different things that we're good at and things that we're not good at. And I said, but you know, in my family, we, we're all equally a part of the team. We're all equally uh, valuable to the team simply because you're a part of my family. We don't treat people in, in my family as being more valuable based on what they can do or less valuable based on what they can't do. And I said, it really needs to be like that on this team. And so from now on, I want us all to treat each other as equally valued simply because we're a part of the same team. 
And just because some kids maybe contribute more on the ice and some kids maybe contribute more off the ice, we don't want to view each other as more or less value, but equal in value simply because we're a part of the same team. Now, did that mean they all suddenly had the same abilities? Or that they all played the same role? Does that mean that any one of them could play goalie or any one of them could play center? Or that any, of, any one of them would be who I would choose to put on the ice in, in a tight uh, game or uh, end of game situation? No, we, ha- we, we, we tried to introduce to them the idea that we can all have the same value and worth even though we might not have the same abilities. Now, when we're talking, there's a difference because when we're talking about gender, when it comes to men and women, it's not about lesser abilities necessarily. It's simply about different abilities. One of the most obvious things is women's ability to bear children, something that men can't replicate. I mean, we're trying, I guess, there, there have been some bizarre successes, if you want to call them successes, um, in that realm today. But naturally speaking, men can't do that. Men, in most cases, naturally are physically stronger than women. Not in every case. I've met plenty of women. I was like, she could kick my butt, I bet. <laughs> But naturally, in the way that God created us, there are some very obvious distinctions. And those distinctions are important. They are part of God's plan. We should not be pursuing any effort to try to erase those distinctions. We should celebrate those distinctions and say that they're valuable on either side. That the unique contributions that women bring to humanity and that women bring to the church should be celebrated. And that the unique contributions that men bring to humanity and that men bring to the church should be celebrated and protected. So let me give you some encouragements. Men, honor and cherish the women in your lives. Uh, Don't think... Don't think of their differences as weakness, but as strengths, because that's what they are. Help them reach their full potential as a valuable part of the body of Christ and of society. Women, honor the men in your lives. Help them be men. Help them live in the strengths that God has given them. Don't try to take that away from them. Don't be like the world that we now live in that wants men to be less masculine. Celebrate masculinity. Celebrate that God made us different and that he made us unique and that there are purposes in that, that when we take away those distinctions, we we fail to achieve what he intended for both the world and for the church. Let's raise young women to be young women. Let's raise young men to be young men. Okay, I think that's an important note, but that's not the point of this passage. It's just something that comes up in this passage. Jesus is talking with this woman and his disciples come back. These are Jesus' disciples, right? And they're like, what's he doing talking to this woman? He knows he's not supposed to be doing that, but Jesus just skates right past that. He doesn't even address it. It's, it's, so, it's, it's just such a foregone conclusion in his mind that that's okay, that he doesn't even address it with them. There's something else, there's something more important he wants to talk to them about. So let's look at our text, verse 31. 
In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Now you remember, these guys are traveling on foot. They're walking through what's largely a desert area. And, and they're going from, from place to place. And, and when you get to a new town, it's very important that you take advantage of whatever resources are there in terms of water and food, because it might be a long time before you come across another town. And so they've been sent out to get something to eat. So they, they come back and they urge him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. I love it. I love it. This is such a cool thing to say. Because Jesus obviously had no food on him. That's why they were sent out to get food. So they, they're wondering what could have happened. It says in verse 33, the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's some pretty awesome food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What's going on here in this story is that Jesus has entered into a much higher purpose while, I mean, here's the guys, they're out there, they're like at Bob Subs getting something to eat to bring back, right? And Jesus is over here while they're getting something to eat, waiting in a drive-through somewhere, Jesus has led basically an entire town to eternal life. Unbelievable. I have food to eat that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay, a couple of things. There's just two things that I want to note from this passage. I'll keep an eye on the time here. Two things. Jesus prioritizes the spiritual over the natural. He prioritizes the spiritual over the natural. It might be more helpful to think physical I don't know. I, this is, I, I purposefully left this with lots of room to wrestle with and to disagree with. There's this, this concept um, that Jesus pri prioritizes the spiritual over the natural leaves a lot of discussion that needs to take place. But I wanted it to be that way. I wanted us to, I want us to stretch our imaginations a little bit and think about what is the relationship between spiritual and physical or the relationship between spiritual and natural? Because we know that, that as human beings, we are at least two parts. Now, philosophically, there's all kinds of debates over how many parts actually make up a human being. But there's at least the physical and then some sort of spiritual element. And that teaching is upheld throughout Scripture. There are even things in Scripture that suggest that there are more than two parts. And so that's why I say there's, there's a healthy debate that happens around that. But we are at least physical and spiritual. We have a part of us that is purely physical in, this, in, purely physical in the sense that it consists of physical things. And then there's part of us that exists and and consist, exist outside of the physical and can exist outside of the physical. And that's generally what we think of as our soul or our spirit. And so there's, there's at least these two elements to humanity, the spiritual elements and the natural elements, the spiritual elements and the, the physical elements. And Jesus wants to reinforce this idea that we don't solely live in the natural 
the main concern of the disciples during this story is to get something physical to feed their physical bodies. What Jesus is about to, to drop on them is that he's been feeding himself spiritually and that that is even greater than to feed yourself physically. This is most likely a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 where Old Testament Israel is, is told that God allowed them to go hungry in the wilderness for a time so that they would learn that you don't live just on physical food alone. I think of, of, think of Matthew chapter 4. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by Satan for 40 days. Obviously, um, this is a, there's a strong Old Testament connection because Old Testament Israel was in the desert uh, facing temptation for 40 years. And so Jesus has come to be the new, old, the new Israel and to do it correctly. And so he goes into the wilderness. He's, he's tempted by the devil. Let me, just, let me just read some of this passage to you. In Matthew chapter 4, this won't be on the screen, you can just listen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he's physically hungry, he's not had anything to eat. How does Satan tempt him? He doesn't tempt him uh, immediately in the spiritual. He tempts him in the natural. He goes to his natural needs, his need for bread. He says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered him, and you're going to see Satan tempts Jesus three times. And each of those three times, Jesus responds with the word of God. Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand up on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, so Satan's gonna, he's going to play this game. He says, oh, you want to use scripture, I'll use scripture, and he twists scripture to come back at Jesus. He is written, he will give you angels, concern, orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, one more time here, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. From the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he sets out to prioritize the spiritual over the natural. Satan comes and tempts him with natural things. Oh, you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Oh, you're, you're a man who seeks power. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. He tempts him with the physical. But Jesus' ministry from the very beginning until the very end is going to prioritize spiritual accomplishment. It's going to prioritize eternal life over life on this earth. This is what he does. This is what his ministry is about. Now, that's not to say, when I say Jesus prioritizes the spiritual over the natural, it's not to say the natural doesn't matter. I don't want to lead people into thinking that we should uh, 
be unconcerned with tending to natural things. God created us to live in a physical world. He created us to be physical beings. God himself takes on the flesh of a human being in Jesus Christ, which he has not gotten rid of. He, has, he now exists in a glorified body, and Jesus, uh, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus is still in that state today. So the goal is not to do away with physical things and to simply exist in some sort of spiritual existence. That's not God's plan for humanity. In fact, the Bible tells us that eternity is going to be a new heavens and a new earth presumably full of physical things and physical beings who live in physical bodies. So, so I'm not saying that the physical doesn't matter, but here's, here's what I think Jesus understands and what, what I hope will challenge us is that you don't have to tell yourself to tend to physical things. No, nobody in here is going to go the rest of the week without eating. I promise you, if you do, there's, there's a problem. Something, something has gone wrong, right? We don't have to necessarily, I mean, we have, we have to be intentional about doing it well, but we don't necessarily have to be intentional. Nobody has to tell you to breathe. Nobody has to tell you to eat. Nobody has to tell you to sleep. I mean, sometimes we have to tell our kids to go to sleep. But even them, if we leave them alone long enough, they will sleep. The natural things will naturally happen. Perhaps we want to give some thought to doing them well and to doing them in a way that's healthy. But other than that, we don't have to give much thought. We will do those things. You will get hungry and eat. You will get tired and sleep. What you may not do is eat spiritually. It's not only possible, it's unfortunately likely that many of us, though we won't go the rest of this week without eating natural food, we'll go the rest of this week without eating spiritually. We'll fail to open our Bibles we'll forget or neglect to take time to pray. We won't consider the spiritual needs of the people around us and how we might help meet them. It's entirely possible. It is, in fact, perhaps natural in some sense to not tend to spiritual things. That's why I say Jesus prioritizes the spiritual over the natural, and we must prioritize the spiritual over the natural, not meaning that we neglect to do natural things, but meaning that we must be intentional about doing spiritual things as well. If true food is spiritual in nature, if what really gives us life is to, to consume spiritual food, to eat of the things of God, to nourish not only our bodies, but our souls with the things of God. We must be intentional, and we must prioritize such things. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you would drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Listen to this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Man, if I could encourage us to do one thing as we start this new year, this, this, this opportunity to have a fresh start in light of everything that happened in the past year, if we could, if we could commit ourselves to not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, but to focus ourselves on seeking first the kingdom of God, understanding that natural things are going to come. You're going to find a way to eat. You're going to find something to wear. You're, you're going to find a way to keep going naturally. What I fear you might not do is survive spiritually. What I fear you might not do is grow spiritually and live in spiritual health. And so we must prioritize. We must, we must make a commitment to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to make it our, the emphasis of our days and of our lives and of the year ahead to seek to, to live in the spiritual. That's what Jesus did. When everybody around him is looking for something physical to eat, he's living off the spiritual. Now, he probably ate after this. Again, I'm not saying neglect physical things. I'm just saying you, you probably don't have to work too hard at that. It's probably going to come fairly naturally. Then there's one more thing that I want to point out from this passage and it's on your handout. It goes like this. Jesus invites us to join him in what is most important. We're invited into what Jesus has just done. He invites us to join him in what is most important. What's more important? What Jesus did in this story, introducing this woman to eternal life, who then in turn goes and tells the whole town and many of whom who come to Jesus and believe in him for eternal life as well, or the disciples out getting some sandwiches. It's obvious which is more important, right? And the beauty of this story is that Jesus, Jesus doesn't just do what is better and then allow the disciples. Uh, he doesn't just treat them as like, okay, you guys are going to serve me. You take care of the food. I'll take care of the spiritual things. No, he actually sort of rebukes them. He actually sort of corrects them for missing out on what has happened. He tells them to open their eyes. You guys can't get past your stomachs. You can't get past your need for physical food. I'm telling you, the harvest is ready. What you missed while you were gone is that this whole town has received eternal life. But he invites them to participate in that. 
he says this in verse 35, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's like, guys, I'm harvesting. I just talked to this woman and she's, she's now in on this eternal life thing. And she's telling everybody else, I'm reaping. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Now, here's where he includes them. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. He's telling them they've got a part in this. What he just did is what they're about to do. And that's the story of the rest of the New Testament, that these very disciples, that these guys who, who went for lunch while Jesus introduces this woman to eternal life would become the reapers. They would become the harvesters. They would become the ones who go and tell this message of eternal life. They would become the ones who go and share the gospel with the world. They would reap what they didn't even labor for. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a kind of a lot going on here in Jesus's language and who is the sower and who's the reaper and who are those who, who labored before them. Uh, I think probably the simplest way to understand that is, is just the work that God has been doing all throughout human history. Moses and the prophets and all of those who came before them were sowing, were preparing people for this time of harvesting, were preparing people for this age of the kingdom come to earth and people receiving eternal life. He says, you didn't have to do all that work. It was done for you. What you get to do is you get to go and harvest. And you're going to benefit from the labor of other people. Jesus invites us to join him in what is most important. That's an incredible invitation. And yet it's one that we so often fail to take him up on. We become consumed by the physical, consumed by the natural. We're consumed with the things that are, that, without a doubt, are, are, are pressing in on us and competing for our attention at every moment of every day. It's one of the reasons that we view gathering together on Sunday mornings as so important. And it's also one of the reasons why we don't hurry through this. I mean, we're not, we're, I mean, by some stand, I guess it's all relative. I, there are some places church services go for hours. But it's probably the norm in our culture to be a little bit shorter than, than we are. And, and, and for the messages, I know guys that preach 20, 25 minutes. I'm like, I haven't even gotten through my introduction in 20, 25 minutes. But, but one of the reasons for that is not because I, I, this is easier for me or because I like to hear myself talk. It's because we know that every other minute of every other day, you don't get this opportunity to just sit and be focused on, on the spiritual and to be focused on what God wants to speak into your life, you leave this place and the world closes in on you, does it not? 
Isn't it almost impossible at times to break free from the demands of everything around you and just focus on scripture and worship and to enjoy fellowship with other believers? It's not easy. It's not easy. It takes, it takes some planning and some intentionality. And that's what we seek to do here on Sunday mornings. We want to take time and let everything else just sit. Let everything else just be waiting for us. That's okay. This is important. In fact, it's what is most important. And you got to find ways in 2021 to prioritize that in your life. You got to find ways to make sure that you're eating spiritually. You got to find ways that, to make sure that you're living out this mission that Jesus invites us into. The mission of taking the gospel so that the world might receive eternal life. I, I think we've looked at these verses several times lately, but I want to do it again. Matthew 28. Again, just listen. This won't be on the screen. Jesus' mission before he leaves the earth in Matthew 28, verse 18, says he came to his disciples and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Guys, this is what we're going to do in 2021. What Jesus sent us to do, what Jesus invites us to do, to go into the world Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples, teach them to observe, knowing that he is with us. That's what it means to live for Jesus, to take part in that mission, to order your life around doing that, to understand and to recognize what is most important. What is most important. There are lots of things that are important. And there are a lot of things outside of this mission that you're going to have to make sure that you take care of. There's things that you just simply can't neglect. But if you're going to pick one thing to focus on, pick this. Pick making disciples. Pick living spiritually. Walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. Inviting other people into that relationship with you. So let me ask you, if that's what we're going to do as a church, are you in? Are you part of that? Will you join us? And then how do your plans for 2021 reflect the need to prioritize the spiritual and to focus on what is most important? I assume you've begun to think about what the next year of your life is going to look like. If you haven't, now's a great time to start. I know 2020 has got us all a little bit shy about that. We're like, I thought I knew what 2020 was going to look like, and it went a lot different, so I hesitate to make plans. But if you're starting to think about that, how, how does that plan reflect this need to prioritize the spiritual and to focus on what is most important? What is your plan for being in the scriptures and reading the Bible? What is your plan for, for witnessing and sharing the gospel with the people around you? What is your plan for giving to support the ministry uh, of this church and of other places that God is working around the world? What about, you know, here's something to even consider. 
Maybe having a plan for fasting. Fasting is when we go without things, natural things usually, physical things, in order to focus on the spiritual. Most often people think of fasting, they think of fasting food, going uh, without a meal or without several, even sometimes days of meals. There's no magic length, but going without that for a time. Wouldn't that be a great way to apply this passage right here? Where, where the, the disciples are so focused on physical food and Jesus points them to spiritual food, wouldn't it be great for us to maybe some point this week go without food and instead take that time to think about this mission, to get into his word, to pray, or perhaps to witness. That's the concept of fasting. As we go into 2021 as a church, we've got a lot of opportunity ahead of us. One of the things that, of course, is on the forefronts of our mind is the acquisition of the Hillcrest Alliance building, uh, which I want to thank you for everybody uh, who has been giving, everybody who has been praying, and everybody who has been working so that we could get into, uh, hopefully, a long-term home for us as a church and put down roots in our community and ensure that we're here for, for generations to come. This really is an opportunity to go from a church plant to a church planted and that's what we want to do. God has given us an opportunity to put down roots. God has given us an opportunity to say we're here to stay and we care about the 150,000 people that live within 20 minutes of where we're at right now. Many of whom don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Beyond that, God has has knit together our church with several other churches throughout the region to form what's called the Steel City Church Planning Network. And uh, we've have, we have commitments from several churches. In fact, this Wednesday evening, we're going to have our first ever board meeting. Uh, we have guys representing four different churches as part of our board for 2021. Um, by default, uh, because of, of Greg and I's work in founding that organization, we're sort of the flagship church of the Steel City Church Planning Network. And we have an opportunity to think outside of our, our, own, our own community and to make an impact all throughout the greater Pittsburgh region. That's an incredible opportunity, guys. We're not just planning a church, but we're starting a network of churches that are going to work together to plant other churches. We see this as an incredible need in Western Pennsylvania. Not for more church buildings. You've noticed we have lots of church buildings, many of which aren't even being used as churches. Some of those are, are, are hosting churches that basically are waiting to die. Some of them have already died. They just haven't had the funeral yet. And, and there is a need for new churches all throughout the region. So that this generation and the generations to come after us will have the same access to the gospel as generations in the past have. Perhaps even greater access to the gospel. Those are great opportunities. But we can't do that collectively unless we individually make commitments to prioritize the spiritual over the physical and to focus on what is most important. So I'm asking you to join us. I'm asking you to give your time, your talent, and your treasure to build the kingdom of God in 2021. And I hope that you'll say that you're all in because this really is what is going to matter most in eternity. We live on this earth for such a short period of time. You know I love that saying, just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
So let's go for it in 2021. Let's be about what is most important. Let's commit ourselves to, to living and growing and thriving spiritually by, by taking part in, in the mission that Jesus has given us by consuming spiritual food, by being in relationship with Jesus Christ, getting in his word, praying, witnessing, and supporting one another as we go along the way. As I invite the worship team to come back up and lead us in a couple of songs of worship, let's pray together. I ask you to close your eyes and join me in prayer. And bef actually, before we do that, while you have your eyes closed, as I've laid out this challenge to prioritize the spiritual and to, to join Jesus in what is most important, building his kingdom, if you're here today and you say, I want to do that, I want to commit to that today, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to make a plan so that I'm sure that I'm consuming spiritual food. I'm nourishing my soul, not just my body. And I want to be involved. I want to participate in whatever way. You know, we talked about different abilities and, and, and different roles earlier. In whatever ways that God has gifted you or uh, enables you to participate, you want to be involved in building his kingdom through Redemption Church. If that's you, you want to make those two commitments today, would you just raise your hand so that I know? who's with me today. I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the willingness in this room to take these steps, to acknowledge that we're not just physical beings, that we have a soul, and that that soul needs fed just as much as these bodies, even more so. Help us to prioritize that. Help us to, to, to daily and to weekly uh, participate in the things that make our souls healthy, to walk with you, to talk with you in prayer, to listen to your voice through reading scripture, to share, with you, to share you with the people around us through witnessing and sharing the gospel. And then help us to commit to building up the, the, the kingdom that you came to establish on this earth, to grow the church so that Redemption Church would be a light and be a witness here in this community and that, that through this church planning network that many other churches would be birthed in, in, this, in this region and so that others would hear the gospel and, and believe in you for salvation and eternal life. Strengthen us. God, put a fire in our souls that we would want to live for you every day. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the ways that we worship together is through giving. And so if you're a guest with us today, we don't ask anything of you financially. Uh, but those of you who came today planning to worship through giving, uh, we're going to go ahead and get ready to receive the offering now. <laughs>